Let me invite you back to your seats. As I mentioned a moment ago, we are working through the New Testament. So we did this in 2017. Five years later, I said, let's do it again. So we're working through the Gospels, five chapters a week. This week in particular, you will be finishing up the book of Mark. So as you're walking with us through these books of the Bible, these books of the New Testament, we are about to finish the second, the second gospel, which is super exciting as we hit these mile markers moving through these readings. If you're not current or you've fallen behind a little bit, I absolve you of your sin and you can now just start and keep going with us, right? Pick it up right there and begin reading with us. Uh, this week, again, the last four chapters of Mark, 13, 14, 15, 16, and then Luke 1. Now, today, I'm not going to spend any time at all in Luke, I don't think, uh, although I could. Luke chapter 1 is a great, uh, a great chapter. I could spend the whole morning on Luke 1, but we'll get, to, we'll get to Luke. What we've been talking about is the unique perspective of each of the gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark was the first to write. Luke and Matthew, right behind him, and the three of those together we call the Synoptic Gospels. And then John, quite a few years, actually decades later, John writes his account. Mark sees Jesus as Messiah servant. Messiah servant. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. He sees Jesus as a Messiah servant. Matthew sees him as Messiah king. Luke sees him as Messiah man. They present their perspectives from that place. And particularly today, I think you'll see something in Mark as he rounds out this book. I just want to pull a, just, just lift an example of showing Jesus as Messiah servant and how we can be like him. I want to look at uh, Mark 14. Again, we're reading 13, 14, 15, 16, and then Luke 1. But I just want to dial in on Mark Mark 14 this morning. If I give you a title, just something to kind of hang your hat on today, let's just call this Beautiful Things, okay? I just want to talk to you about, about beautiful, beautiful things. Now, interesting, uh, this servant perspective, we're going to see this story in, in uh, Mark 14, but it's also in Matthew uh, 26 and John 12. So this is a story that is actually in three of the four Gospels. So I'm just going to start with Matthew 26. I'm going to look at verse, uh, verse 10. If you have your Bible, please follow along. It should be up on the screens as well. So verse 10, aware of this, Jesus says to them, now there's no backstory there. I'm just giving you the words of Jesus. What happened? is that Jesus is in this place called Bethany. It's just outside of Jerusalem. This is the last week, right? We're in uh, Matthew 26, and there's only 26, 27, 28, right? There's only three chapters, and we're done. So we're in the, uh, the last week of Jesus' life. In Mark, we're going to be in 14, right? That's the very end. So this is the last part of Jesus' life. He's in a place called Bethany. So it would probably be like uh, if, if Terre Haute is Jerusalem, He's in Goshen or Clinton or someplace like that. It's just, just outside, just on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And he's at the house of a guy named Simon. 
Simon is a Pharisee. Simon, uh, he's also called Simon the leper. And that's a unique thing that we're going to pull in here in a moment. Just kind of some interesting things to possibly consider. While he's having dinner, there is a woman that comes in and breaks open this alabaster box. It's this box of expensive oil ointment. Uh, it would be like breaking open the piggy bank, right? All over Jesus. So he's doing that, and the disciples are basically ticked off. They're like, what a waste. What a waste. Now let me just pause here. What some people call a waste, Jesus calls a beautiful thing. What we may even walk into and see as a waste of time, man, just that would be a waste of my time. My time is more valuable than that. That would be a waste of my time. I hope at the end of today we could pause and stop and think, okay, maybe that is the worldview. Maybe that's a view I picked up that it's a waste of my time. But I wonder what Jesus would call this because he calls it a beautiful thing. So, picking up verse 10, aware of the anger and the discontent in the disciples. And they're like, this could have been used for so much more. Aware of this, Jesus says to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a a beautiful thing. She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And I'll tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Interesting. Everyone else says it, looks at it as like, what a waste. What a waste of time. What a mess. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 that's a beautiful thing. He redefines it as a beautiful thing. Now, let's compare that, that reading in Matthew. Let's compare it to what you'll read this week in Mark. So let's look at Mark 14. Mark 14, verse 6, same kind of deal. They're like, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And it says the disciples rebuked her harshly. Now, let me just pause here, editorial. When I hear that, I think, do I do that? These guys, this is the end of it for Jesus. This is the last week of his life. They've been hanging around him intimately for three years. Preached a message earlier this year called The Adventures in Missing the Point. Anyone? Right? We think we're being righteous. We think we're fighting for the cause. We, we think we've got all of our little ducks in a row and we know what we're doing. And we're like righteous indignation about what is right and what is not right and fighting for all of that. And we rebuke people harshly. <laughs> Jesus says, Mark 14, 6, leave her alone. That's like big brother at the playground, right? Somebody's messing with something like, hey, leave him alone. Can you see Jesus like squeak in there and go, leave her alone. 
What did their face look like? What does your face look like when you get chided like that? You're like, oh, you look at what? I was fighting for you, man. He's like, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? Interestingly, it probably is Jesus like, because you're bothering me. (laughs) Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you'll not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And I'll tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, I read the account. We all saw it in Matthew, and we read the account in Mark. My question would be, did you catch what Mark added? Did you catch what Mark brought from the perspective of Messiah's servant? Did you catch that it reads exactly the same except verse 8? Exactly the same. You can pull them out parallel, check back and forth. Exactly the same except Mark adds. She did what she could. The servant writer tells the same story that Matthew the tax collector tells. Except for some reason, he adds this verse, verse 8. She did what she could. You see, Jesus is telling us in both passages, he says, hey man, you got this wrong. Like what she's doing is beautiful. Wouldn't it be true? I mean, come on. Wouldn't it be true? We want to do things that the Lord feels is beautiful. We want to do beautiful things. We want to be representative of kingdom and grace and goodness and light and life and kindness and all of these things. Like that's, we're not trying to be harsh. We're not trying to miss the point. We want to be life-giving. We want to think that we are. But it's how it's defined, and we don't get to define it. Jesus says that what this woman did was a beautiful thing. One person could see it as a waste of time, a waste of resources, a waste of energy. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. It's a beautiful thing. But he doesn't just say beautiful thing. Thank you, Mark. Mark tells us that it's a beautiful thing because she did what she could. Now, see, I don't have an alabaster box. I don't even know what, maybe I do. I don't even know what one looks like. I might have an alabaster box and not know it, but I'm pretty sure I don't. So I don't even know what it is. And spikenard, what is that? Do I have to go to Baszler's? Like, what is that? I have no idea what that is either. I don't have those things. So am I disqualified from doing beautiful things? Am I disqualified because I don't have an alabaster box? The woman that cried and wiped his feet with her hair, I'm out of luck there too. Like, I can't do that either. Right? So, like, what? I don't have what it takes, apparently. Can I not do a beautiful thing? Because I am confident there are people in this room that you have self-selected out and you think you cannot do a beautiful thing. 
confident of that. What is it that disqualifies me, that disqualifies you from doing a beautiful thing, from doing something that the Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer, the Redeemer would look at you and be able to look at you and say, that's a beautiful thing. I don't feel qualified. No, no, no. He gives us the definition. It was a beautiful thing because she did what she could. And you know what? Every one of us can do what we can. Every one of us. And this woman, who is this woman? And that's the interesting piece. Right, you can piece together stuff in, in John's account in John 12, and you can, you can piece together things in Matthew's account and, and, and Mark here. And, and, and it looks like there's this guy named Simon, and Simon is a Pharisee, and Simon is also a, a leper, and, and, and Simon might be the dad of Judas. These things are all kind of loosely connected. You can read about them and, you know, just you're like, huh, I wonder if that's... He could be the... In fact, Simon Iscariot is listed as the dad of Judas. So it could be that Simon. But in the house in Bethany, that's where Lazarus lives. So is it Lazarus's dad? And where did Mary get this anyway? We don't think she's the woman that the hair and the tears and everything, but she could be. The timing seems a little off in the chronology of the Lord's life, but she could be. But what is the deal? Did she just save up birthday presents? Because what I think is the implication here is that this is something that she earned, money earned. What if it was money earned in a less than noble way? What if it was money earned in a way that is not socially acceptable? What if it was earned in such a way that she would be an outcast? I don't know. You don't really know. I don't think any of us are going to land the plane on that today. It just doesn't seem exactly clear. But there are these tangential connections. It is Mary. It clearly says it's Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha, Sister of Lazarus, Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, Simon, like this whole thing. And she takes this and gives it to him. I think in Mark chapter 12, which was what was covered last week, Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. If you could throw those up there. Let me get myself here. I'll turn myself to it. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. So really, that's it. It's, it's truly a fraction of a penny, like a, an eighth or so, a quarter of a penny. And calling his disciples to him, these moments are priceless, these moments when intuitively we think we understand what's going on and we think we understand who's giving the most and we think we understand who's at the top of the list and who's at the bottom of the list and we think we understand where we fit in the whole hierarchy of all this and Jesus redefines it. He says, fellas, come here, I want to tell you something. I'll tell you the truth. The poor widow has put more into the treasury than 
all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. She gave so little. She gave a penny. Let's try that later today. Just walk up to someone and say, hey, really been feeling something for you. Here, it's a penny. They'll probably be insulted. They might throw it back at you. Right? They look at that like, what are you trying to mock me? You're trying to mock my right? Penny. She gave so little, yet she had so little. But here's the deal. She gave what she could. She actually gave all that she had. And let me help us all with this, because it's super true. Giving is not measured by what we give. Giving is measured by what we have left over after we have given. The amount of the gift is not measured by what you give. It's measured by what you have left over after you've given and what we could. Kids and I, Melinda, we were sitting around the house a couple weeks ago. Emma and Chip are reading through Mere Christianity. And so we're discussing some chapters, and we were talking about a chapter of what sacrifice looks like and what giving looks like and living in such a way that you set things aside in order to just be able to give. And you could have more and you could do more, but you intentionally say no to the vacation or the size of your vehicle or the size of your house or whatever the thing, whatever it is. You say no to that intentionally in order to be able to do more. So you can do more and you set that up intrinsically in what you're doing. What is it that we can do? What is it that we can do? The beautiful thing is that she did what she could do. I think of the little engine that could. Getting super spiritual right now. I think I can, 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 I think, right? All that, right? And then when achieved, the little engine says, I knew I could, I knew I could, I knew I could. I just wondered what your perspective of that story is. I began to wonder about my own perspective of that story. Is that story about his achievement? When I think I can, what can I do? It's stuff I can achieve. I'm always focused about what I achieve. I'm always focused about me. The good that I can do is about me. What I can do, what I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, or is it about this little engine's ability to pull passengers and help others? I just wonder. It's worth considering. Was the victory that I could do something that is a light on me, 
that is about my achievement, my personal progress, or is it I've got a train full of passengers back here and I need to get them somewhere and I think I can. And I think I can. And I think I can. How do you read it? I don't know. Recently I heard this. I don't even recall where. It feels like it's been the last four to six weeks. I have been thinking about this a lot for my own life. And lucky you, you get to hear what I think about. I think about the self-help section at Barnes & Noble or Books A Million. Go to Amazon and type in self-help. See how many thousands of things come up. It's vast. And then I walk through Barnes & Noble. I was in Barnes & Noble in uh, Greenwood a week ago. Emma was over there doing some school stuff, and, and I drove her, and the afternoon, I had a little time and went to Barnes & Noble, grabbed a coffee, and man, the self-help section is vast. I kept looking for this section entitled, Help Someone Else Succeed section. I'd still be over there, I think. Where is that section in our culture? The self-help section is vast. The I want to succeed and figure out so I can, that section is eternal. But where is the section where it's, I'm going to get a book about helping someone else succeed. I'm going to come alongside and do what I can, because I think I can. I think I can. Do you think you can? Do you think you can do a beautiful thing? Do you think you can do a beautiful thing? Because that beautiful thing will be to do what you can. But it's not about you. This breaking the alabaster box wasn't about her. It was about him. She said, he said, this woman did this for me. This woman did what she could for me. Now, let's be frank. Prior to that, she probably saved up, probably did all that saved up for her. And then, I really wish we could have practiced this, man. It was deeply in my heart, and I feel like the Lord led me, and maybe I failed. You too and B.B. King. Mm. Love comes to town. That's what we need right now. When love comes to town, I'm going to jump that plane. Love comes to town, I'm going to. Anybody? Catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. Y'all need to get that on your playlist. B.B. <laughs> King and you too. I was a sailor. I was lost at sea under the waves until love rescued me. I was a fighter. I could turn on a thread, stand accused of the things I said. Man, the verses are raw about how broken I am. The chorus says, but then love came to town. 
You see, I don't know what this woman had in mind for that alabaster box of ointment. (laughs) And love came to town. Love was reclining at her kitchen table. (laughs) What's happening in Mary? We know that Martha was busy, and we know that Mary chose the good thing. But what was going on? Did it happen when she heard he was coming for lunch? Did it happen when she heard he'd be there at the house for the weekend? Everybody was coming in for Passover, and he was coming a few days early. Did she, did, is that when it happened? Or did she happen to come home one day, and there he is? And she knows what she has, and she knows what she can do. And then she sees him. Because when love comes to town, and I'm not trying to be cute, when love comes to town, it changes everything. That's the testimony. That was your testimony today, Bo. That's the testimony that we all share. We've got our plans. It's going to happen today. People's course is going to change this morning. What you brought and what you think you've got and what you know you have and how you thought you were going to use it, the Lord's going to change your course today. Today. He's going to change your course. I brought this with this in mind. I've been saving, actually. I had plans for that. I had plans for my time. I had plans for my retirement. I had plans for that money. I had plans for whatever. And all of a sudden, love is going to walk into town. And everything that I thought I was doing, I see that, and it's not about me anymore. It's not about what those things can do for me. There's something that is a response. Peggy, you said it. It's worship and it's praise and it's thanksgiving. And it comes out of relationship. It comes out of relationship. I don't know what the person might have thought with my window down you two and B.B. King cranking out of my car with my hands raised while I drive because that's exactly what happened. I'm listening to that, and I heard love came to town. I'm like, yes, praise God. Tears, my hands were up. Yes. That's the whole story. Love came to town and changed everything that I thought I was going to do. It became a beautiful thing. Not a selfish thing, not a self-promotion thing, not a take-it-easy thing. But a beautiful thing that I could take and use and give. Not just me bragging about getting over the hill. But being a person because I can. A person that brings people with me over the hill. Ephesians chapter 4, this is a passage that's probably familiar. Let me find it in my own Bible here. Ephesians 4.11. So Christ himself gave apostles prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. For what reason? To brag and boast and have cool parking spots? No, no, no. 
No, no, no. He gave us so we can, can what? Can equip, equip each other, equip the pastors and the apostles, and it's just our little loop that we do. No, 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 no. Equip whose people? Yes, unto him, his body. Equip his people for works of. Mark would love that word, wouldn't he? Works of service. Equipping people so that they can serve. Doing what you can do. For what reason? For yourself? No, 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 no. See, the perspective is on others. To build up the body of Christ. Build up the body of Christ. Until we all reach this unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of That's the word, and you can keep it right there. The fullness of Christ. All working to him. All working to him. What can we do to build up another to serve another? You may have read about this in the paper. Uh, I saw a little news clip. You may have seen it on the news. And many of you know we're a ministry partner with Next Step. And more than a ministry partner. Like, it is a family. We are connected. Friday, they had the grand opening of their recovery cafe. It was magic. It was amazing in there. And I was thinking about that. Now, I attended. Macy was there. She and I chatted a little bit. She was there. Uh, Tina, of course. Rhonda, who was there? Anybody there for the recovery cafe? Gwenny, Link was there. Bo, TJ, right? A lot of folks, dozen folks or so. I attended. I did what I could, which was show up. Yeah, it was great. You know what? I had no idea what a blessing it would be to me. No idea. If you weren't able to be there, you should ask one of the folks that were there. Ask them. What was the energy like in that room? What was happening in that space? You see, they did their presentation, and then people just kept hanging around. I was talking to Bo, and Tyler was there. We were sitting around talking, and uh, several of us, right? Andy, you guys were all there. Joe. We were chatting about our God story because that's what it turned out to be. We started talking about when you guys first hit that program. We start talking about that God story. And we start talking about what the Lord did and all these touches and all these things. And I looked around. The program was over. People were everywhere still talking, touching, connecting. So I said, this is like good church right here. Then I? I said, this is like good church where people just hang around. They're happy to be there. The connection. I had no idea what a blessing that would be. And I wonder if this woman had any idea. If Mary... Come on, none of us believe that she was in her room getting her alabaster box thinking, this is it. They're going to talk about me forever. This is it. This is my key to stardom right now. I'm going to bust this thing open and my name shall be remembered for all generations. That's never how it works. Let me just put a little pastoral note in there, pastoral aside. If that is your thought, somewhere along your way, your tires going to fall off. And the Lord is going to get your attention. Right? That's just the truth. I can speak that from experience. You're giving. You know what? You're doing what you can. You're doing what you could. 
And when you're doing what you can, the Lord calls it a beautiful thing. Jesus didn't need spices right then, friends. <laughs> right? He needed spices a little bit later, maybe, but he didn't even need it, did he? Those are post-mortem things you do. Put oil and spice and anointing. It was unclear that she knew the impact of what she was doing. It was a beautiful thing for Jesus. He said, she's done it to me. Does that ring a bell, scripture, for anybody? Done it to me? What? Whatever you've done to the least of these you've done to me. Doesn't that open up some doors for us? Doing what we can to the least of these. And in our own mind, we may be having a dialogue or someone may be speaking to us, and I don't have time for that, and, and I don't have margin for that, and I can't do that. Oh, I can do that. I can just do it. And Jesus will call it beautiful, and he will say, you have been a blessing to me. It is about, it is about empowering and edifying and building up the body of Christ. Christ. And we're able to do that. Every single person can do that. I'd like to think that messages I preach can touch everybody in the room. But this one can. Because every person is able to do what you can. Right? Arnick said it earlier. There's no resume, no credit score. Like after church, if you guys file up here after church, just give me a quick number of your credit score, and then we'll put you with sheep or goats, like where you get to go. And, you know, do you get to serve the Lord or not serve the Lord? That's not it. You can have a lousy credit score and have two cents and give it. You can have no cents. <laughs> Spell that however you want. You can have no cents but know enough to follow his lead, to know enough to see a need and hear a voice, to know enough. Here's something. Let me just toss this out here. Another pastoral moment. When people are in deep trauma and deep crisis, the worst of the worst, stuff that is a struggle, stuff that is debilitating, wipes your feet out from under you, those kinds of moments, deeply traumatizing, tr dramatic, breaking, all of that. Let me give you the rule. The deeper the pain the fewer the words. Just give you a little counseling tip today. Andy's counseling tip. The deeper the pain, the fewer the words. I've been a pastoral counselor for a long time. You think I just tell that to you? No, no, that's what I, that's what I use. I had a buddy call me and someone lost a child. It's up in Milwaukee and he was, Headed, he said, man, I'm headed to the hospital. What do I say? I said, the deeper the pain, the fewer the words, bro. You can't say anything anyway. Just be there. Now, you might be thinking, the reason I bring this up is you might be thinking in a deep, deeply traumatic situation like that, I really need to have something to say. And I wish so-and-so were here or this person were here. Oh, man, if they could be here. But I'm trying to tell you right now, everybody can do this. I'm going to use Zach here. Everybody can do this. 
He's got a deep situation, a trauma, a pain, a tragedy. And I walk up. That. Everybody can do that. And that's more powerful than anything I could ever say. And let us not forget, friends, that we do bring the spirit of Christ into the space. Let's not downplay that either. We bring that in. Arna, come on up, man. So that thing that we can do, will it be praying with someone? That happened today, didn't it? Happened around the room. People were poisoned waiting to pray. And then some people around the room came spontaneously to pray. People joined them. Will it be an awareness of someone praying and me coming alongside? Because I can. Reaching out to someone just because you feel prompted to, to grab a coffee or to sit in your backyard. There were 100 plus people there. How many folks? You know how many people were there on Friday? It looked like 100 plus people there. I didn't get to interview everybody out the door. Maybe if I'd known I was preaching this, I could have. But I'll go, I, I'll, I'll go out on a limb here. And if I asked them walking out the door, did you find this valuable or a waste of your time? I anticipate that most people would say, oh, this was tremendous, better than I thought. We call him the drug czar. His name's Doug Hudsinger. He's in the governor's office, the guy that runs the whole, the whole thing for the state. I stood and talked to him for about 15, 20 minutes. And as we were talking, he said, man, these are the things I love. These are the things I love to come to. These are the celebration things where you just go there. He drove from Indy and has 157 things to do. Man, you leave there blessed, and he did. Will it be sitting on the floor with a child? Will that be it? Sitting on the floor with a child. On the other side of that wall, loving them and touching them and being gentle with them and prayerful with them. Will it be in the basement with our littles? Maybe up in Romine, Joe and Talisha are up there today doing what they can. Yeah. Will it be with a student at Fuquay? Where's my guy? Is Victor here? Where's Victor? Can you step out? My buddy Victor is here today. Victor's my guy from Fuquay. He's my guy. And Jeremy, Jeremy and his buddy, Cam, we played ball the other day, baseball. Jeremy hit it the furthest. I struck out. We all do what we can. Isn't that awesome? Let me tell you something, buddy. Every Friday I have other things to do. Every single Friday I have other things to do. I have other things that are pulling on me. Other things that on my calendar are hollering for my attention. Other things that if I go to Fuquay, I'm going to work late. And when I go there and hang out with Victor, 
I leave and my heart is full. And his heart is full. And there's someone else who has his heart full. Christ's heart is full. Will it be as a cheerleader for someone else's success? Will it be coming alongside and believing in somebody? Everyone in here can do something. Maybe it'll be something as practical as just even in this room. All the things that you see on a Sunday, this stuff doesn't just happen, right? From lining up the chairs and cleaning the room and setting things up and opening and closing the building and prayer this week and all these things, this stuff, we just don't have little gnomes that run around here and do all that stuff. Right? It's people, and they serve and they give. And, you know, who's not, who's not busy, right? And we make the time because we understand something. And I hope you understand that even more so today. And what a gift that Christ gives us. He said she did a beautiful thing. And then Mark gives us that little nugget. She did what she could. So what will that be for you today and through the week? And praying that whatever it is, remember, two mites, Jesus said they gave the most. We're not comparing ourselves anymore. Can we stomp that out? Can we give a good stomp out in Jesus' name kind of thing here? Give me something, Marnick, man, give me something. Thank you. I'm counting on you, man. You leave me hanging in he did what he could. Oh, oh, my, my, my. It's so frustrating when people listen to your sermon, use it against you. It would be as foolish as all of us trying to play like him. There's a learning curve here that that ship has sailed for me. I am behind. Right? And I don't have to. Tell you a fun story. Lynn and I were youth pastors years ago. And this gal's name was Katie. And Katie was praying about spiritual gifts. She's a teenager. And she wanted the gift of the interpretation of tongues. It's in Corinthians. Right? There's a message in a language, and she wanted to be able to interpret it. And I mean, she was serious about it. She was like 16, 16, 17. She's like, I just need that. We had lunch with her, and she was just like pouring her heart out. She's like, I've got to have this. And I listened to her for a bit, and I said, I said, why, why, why the intensity around this? And she said, well, my dad does this. I said, is your dad not going to be in church on Sunday? <laughs> like, just be you. Did you know that the scripture, when it talks about those spiritual gifts, you don't choose them, the spirit gives them. There's this gift given by the spirit. And there's this gift given by the Spirit. And there's this gift given by the Spirit. And he has a gift. And he's honed it. And he uses it. And we're all blessed by it. But we can get caught into something where I have to be this or that. And that is a trick of the enemy. Be you. Dear friend, brother and sister, be you. Do the thing that you can not next week, not you need a certification or you need something else. Do the thing you can do now. 
And you know what Jesus will call it? It will be a beautiful thing. Amen. Sing, brother.